Well, we're drawing to a, a close in our Living in the Spirit message series. Next Sunday will be the concluding message, which I've entitled The Work of the Spirit. And in this series, we've gotten an overview of how the Holy Spirit can work in us and through us, uh, through our lives. <clears throat> if you missed any of the messages, I'd encourage you to watch them online on our website. In fact, if you're a regular attender and you miss a Sunday, I would encourage you to go online to our website and watch the message that you missed because I believe the messages that God is giving us are important and you don't want to miss what God is saying to you and what God has for your life. Now today we're going to be talking about, uh, clicker is not working, Okay, the order of the Spirit. We're going to be talking about the public use of spiritual gifts in a church service, such as this morning or in a small group meeting. Now, with respect to the use or manifestation of spiritual gifts, there are two kinds of churches. Make it real simple. The first kind uh, is, a, is a church that believes the Bible regarding the continuation of spiritual gifts to our day, to our time. And this kind of church Sometimes it's referred to as a continualist church. It's not a widely used phrase, but it means that they believe the Word of God, that the spiritual gifts continue to our time. Other phrases might be a spirit-filled church or a uh, Pentecostal church. So Life Church is part of the Assemblies of God. I mentioned that Speed the Light has one of the largest missionary forces uh, on the planet. It's uh, the largest spirit-filled denomination of the world, over 70 million people. The second kind of church doesn't believe what the Bible teaches regarding spiritual gifts. They believe spiritual gifts ceased when the Bible was completed. There's really no scriptural basis for that belief, but many churches do believe that. And these churches we would refer to as cessationist churches. They believe that spiritual gifts ceased way back long ago, thousands of years, and no longer uh, exist today. And most denominational churches are cessationist. Now, there is such a thing as religious political correctness, and I don't like it. Uh, it says that it really doesn't matter what churches believe. As long as they get salvation right, everything else is optional. Uh, and you can believe whatever you want. One church believes one thing, another believes another thing. That's diversity. It's kind of like what flavor of ice cream you prefer. It really doesn't matter to each his own. I believe that thinking is incorrect. It's wrong. The Bible gives us direct commands what we are to believe and what we are to practice in our lives. And when we obey those commands, God blesses us. When we get it wrong, when we disobey the commands in the Bible, then that is a serious issue. Lives will be lost for eternity when we disobey and don't follow God's direction in his word. And I believe that before Jesus returns, the church will be united in spirit and in truth. Let me say that again. I believe before Jesus returns, the church will be united in spirit and in truth. 1 Corinthians 14.1, I'd encourage you to take out the white page in your program. It has the outline and the verses written out. On the back are study questions that are used in many of the life groups. And you can use those on your own as well. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And I believe that command is still valid today. 
We are to follow the way of love. We are to do everything with love. And we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. That's not an optional command, especially the gift of prophecy. And so I would say if you have friends or relatives in cessationist churches, I would encourage you to encourage them to find a spirit-filled church that believes the whole Bible like Life Church. Now, in continualist churches, there are three types of continualist churches. The first only talks about spiritual gifts, and they never are manifested in the church. And that's obviously not real good. I mean, you talk about them, but they never happen. So something needs to change there. The second type of church is those who use the gifts in an orderly and balanced manner. And that's good. That's biblical. The third type of church is those who misuse spiritual gifts, and they use them in a disorderly manner, and it causes confusion, it causes chaos, it causes things that God does not want to happen. And some people are afraid of misusing the gifts. They're so afraid of misusing the gifts that they make no room for them. And that is not what God intends either. Some people are so afraid of the gift of tongues that they have trouble receiving spirit baptism. But we need not fear the gifts of the spirit. What are they? They're gifts. They're good gifts. God only gives good gifts to his children. We need not fear them. They're good for us. They're good for the church. Good things happen when we receive and manifest the spiritual gifts. And so today we're going to talk about the public use of spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now it's a, a quite long chapter about spiritual gifts. So I'd encourage you to read it. We encourage you to read it last week, encourage you to read it again, and we really even can't cover the whole chapter. There's so much in there this Sunday, so I encourage you to, to read it for yourself. First principle I want to talk about that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is everyone should participate in worship. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, last Sunday we talked about that the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to each and every Spirit-baptized believer. And here instruction is given that when the church comes together to worship, those gifts are to be used. Now, in this list, in this verse, some, verses, uh, some gifts are mentioned that we didn't mention last Sunday when we talked about the nine spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But one of the gifts is uh, everyone has a hymn. People will be used by God to lead singing, to lead worship. That is, can be an operation of the Spirit of God. In fact, somebody could actually sing a song inspired by the Holy Spirit, a prophetic song, song or a song in tongues provided there was an interpretation, which we'll get in a minute. Another may bring a word of instruction, a word of, of teaching, a revelation, it says. Well, what is a revelation? Last week we talked about messages of wisdom, message of knowledge, and prophecy, prophetic words. And that's what we heard this morning. So the, um, finally, the one that's mentioned here is somebody may give a tongue, and there will be an, it should be an interpretation. The point here is that everyone should participate in worship. It's not just a place we come to observe. Participation strengthens the church. 
1 Corinthians 14, 26 ends, it says, all these, all these spiritual gifts must be done for the strengthening of the church. And so the use of spiritual gifts, the purpose of it is for the common good of the church, for the strengthening of the church body. It's not for exalting a person who, who, uh, who is using the gift. It's for the strengthening of the church. Now, how is the church strengthened? Well, the church is strengthened as the gifts draw us closer to God. That strengthens us. The closer we get to God, the stronger we become. The church is strengthened as the gifts lead people to turn away from sin. The closer we get to God, the more we turn away from sin, the more we want to repent from the wrong things that are in our lives. The church is strengthened as the gifts give us encouragement and direction on God's purpose for our lives. Now notice this verse again is a command. And I've just been noticing this as I read my Bible lately. I guess God is speaking to me. How many of the verses we read are commands? We just read like, oh, that's interesting. So no, it's a command. It's something we're supposed to do. It's something we're supposed to practice. It's something we're to put into operation in our lives. These must be done for the strengthening of the church. Uh, and so we'll talk about how gifts could be used not to strengthen the church. And that's not how we're to use them. They should be done to strengthen the church. Authentic spiritual gifts can be used in ungodly ways that undermine and weaken the church. Spiritual gifts can be used to draw people to follow a certain person who may actually lead people out of the church. And so church leadership is required to oversee the proper use of all types of spiritual gifts and they are to bring correction as needed. If spiritual gifts are used in a way that is not correct or it needs some correction. So we are to seek to grow in spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. The church at Corinth was eager to have spiritual gifts, but they were more interested in manifesting the gifts than building up the church. They just thought it was a cool thing to have spiritual gifts. And so this instruction is given to correct our motivation in using the gifts. We are to seek them. We are to seek to grow in them. We are to seek to excel in them, not to build our own ministries, not to build our own reputations, but to build up the entire body of Christ. Now, I would say that overall, the church in America has moved from participation to observation. Okay, when people come to church, they're there to observe what happens on the platform. It's like, oh, that's nice, you know. And the more entertaining the platform is, it seems like the larger the church grows. Uh, observation, not participation. Now, part of this change is due to the increase in large churches. Uh, it's not as easy in a large church to participate as it is in a smaller church. But there are ways that can be remedied even in large churches. Secondly, the teaching of many churches does not encourage participation. So the remedy, of course, in large churches, we are not a large church. Uh, someday we will be, but we're not a large one right now. Uh, the remedy in large churches is to encourage participation in small groups. Even in a church our size, can everyone give a word? Can everyone give a prayer? It's like, no, we, we would be here all day. It doesn't work. So the key even in our church is participation in small groups where everyone can speak, you can interact, 
we can give uh, operate in spiritual gifts there as well. And of course, proper teaching also will increase participation. But even if you do not have a word or a gift that you share with the entire uh, congregation, the entire service, you can, all, you can always worship from your heart. When we're worshiping, you can worship from your heart. You can pray to God. You can interact with God. Uh, you can, by participating in the worship, you can be hearing from God as we are in the, in the service, rather than just like, oh, that's interesting, and uh, what am I doing this afternoon? So let's look at some guidelines for tongues and prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now the entire chapters of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, there's a lot of teaching there. It was written to correct some disorderly issues with the gift of tongues that were occurring in the Corinthians church. And so there are some very specific guidelines that are given for spiritual gifts that, uh, that deal with the vocal gifts, particularly tongues and prophecy. And these guidelines will help us with those gifts and also with gifts in general because many of them apply to other gifts as well. I already mentioned this, but tongues need to be interpreted. 1 Corinthians 14 says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Now, the first part of 1 Corinthians 14 tells us the reason why people, uh, why tongues need to be interpreted. And we don't have time to really go into it. But it's basically that nobody can understand. You know, speaking in tongues is speaking in a language that you don't understand. And, uh, you know, our common language here is English. So speaking in tongues, you're speaking in some language. You don't know what it is. It could be a, a natural language. It could be an angelic language. We don't know what it is. Nobody knows what you're saying. And... So the church is not encouraged. You can't be encouraged. I mean, just think, does anybody here speak Chinese? I'm speaking a language nobody speaks. Okay. Nobody speaks Chinese. So if somebody came in here and spoke Chinese, you know, it's like, what is that? You know, it's not English. I have no clue what they're saying. So I'm not being strengthened. I'm not being encouraged. It's kind of a waste, not kind of. It is a waste of time in a, a public service. And so these guidelines are given by the Apostle Paul for the church of all ages, number one, to keep tongues from dominating the service, only two or three, and secondly, that tongues must always be interpreted. They could be interpreted by the person who gives the message in tongues or by somebody else. So when tongues are interpreted, they are the equivalent of prophecy, a, a word spoken by God in the language of the day. And so they are useful then when they are interpreted. Now, prophecy, on the other hand, must be judged. Verse 29, it says, Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully, underline that word, weigh carefully, what is said. If a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. And so, the important principle here in these verses is that prophecy must be carefully weighed. It must be judged. It must be evaluated. And that means that Everyone, but especially the church leadership, should examine a prophecy to see if it lines up with the Word of God. If a prophecy is given and it doesn't line up with God's Word, then it must be rejected. Now, not only must the prophecy line up with God's Word, it also must have the purpose of strengthening, encouraging, and comforting the entire church body. It must be for the good of the entire church. 
There's another passage. We don't have it written out for you. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. If you're taking notes, it says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Test everything and hold on to the good. In other words, a prophecy can be completely good and it's accepted. Or a prophecy can be partly good and partly wrong. Or a prophecy can be just completely off base and be completely rejected. And it's the primary responsibility of church leadership to judge prophecy. And if a prophetic word is given and we don't say anything, that means we believe it's good. Okay, So we believe it's from God in its entirety. If there's a problem, then you will know about it. Thirdly, prophecy is for encouragement. Verse 31, it says, For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. And so here we see the results of true prophecy. People are instructed. People are encouraged. Now this is true of all the gifts as well. They need to be used in keeping with God's word and they need to encourage those who receive the gift or hear the gift. Prophecy must be controlled. Uh, verse 32 and 33, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophet, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And so this final principle also applies to the gift of tongues. One of the problems in the church in Corinth and in some churches today is that people feel that when the spirit moves them, they have no choice but to speak. You know, the spirit is moving me. He's given me this message and I've just got to let loose. I've just got to give it. Uh, and nothing is going to stop me. But here God's word specifically says the prophet is in control of that spiritual gift. He can decide when to speak. He can decide how to speak. And that, that decision must be made in light of the scriptural guidelines, in light of the current situation. I heard a story of a, a woman who would, in a church service, she would yell out, in tongues, right at the close of the pastor's message, just as he was getting ready to ask people to pray to receive the Lord. She would get up, begin to yell out a message in tongues. After the message in tongues, the woman would yell out the interpretation of the tongues in perfect King James English. Now, there was nothing actually wrong with the content of the message. It was from the Bible. What was wrong was the way it was given and the timing of it. And this happened Sunday after Sunday, and finally the pastor took the woman aside. He gently explained to her that you're really disrupting what God is doing in the message. That is not the time to bring forth this message, this message in tongues or the interpretation. And secondly, you don't have to yell. You know, when you give the message, and you should just talk normally. You don't. You need to use King James English. Now, unfortunately, the woman did not receive the correction, and she left the church. And so the ability to receive correction is a mark of spiritual maturity. And if you want to grow in God, when you are corrected, uh, you need to accept the correction and learn from it, rather than just going, running away from it. And so God wants 
uh, more people to participate in spiritual gifts in our service. And praise God, we, we began to uh, open the door here. We opened the door a little bit more than on the prayer and praise this last Wednesday night. And God wants us to, to uh, be open to the moving of the Spirit during the service. I'm just seeing here where I... So one of the, one of the uh, places here where it's good to have spiritual gifts where it's appropriate uh, is at the end of the worship. And we're going to have a time we usually have, we're going to open it up more for people to move in spiritual gifts at the end of the worship time. It's a time that may not be the only time, but it's really one of the best times. We just wait on the Lord. God gives you a word. Feel free to give it to the church. And so God wants that to increase uh, in our services more and more. Uh, people have gifts. We just need to step out in faith and use them for God's purposes. Now, spiritual gifts uh, have an impact on unbelievers as well as believers. In church services, there's almost always a mix of believers and unbelievers. And that was true in Bible days. It's true uh, today. Probably most, most unbelievers in church think they are believers, uh, but they aren't. I mean, the vast majority of people in America think they're Christians. But then you ask them, what, what does that mean? And the answer they give clearly indicates they are not. So there are almost always unbelievers in a church service. And so let's talk about what 1 Corinthians 14 says about spiritual gifts impacting unbelievers. Uninterpreted tongues has a negative impact on an unbeliever. Verse 23, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Well, if unbelievers think you're out of your mind, that's not a good thing. Okay, that's Paul's point. Uh, we don't want people thinking we're crazy. And so that's basically what was happening in the church in Corinth. They just got so excited. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. They come together and everybody would just shout in tongues at the same time. Unbelievers came in and said, what is going on here? We don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. This is just a madhouse. And so they prize the gift of tongues so much that they begin to get it wrong. And so the clear instruction in this chapter is to limit the amount of tongues and make sure it is interpreted. Now that doesn't mean that you can't quietly worship or pray in tongues when everybody else is worshiping. That just means that, um, that you should be aware of how that affects others. And if someone speaks out loudly and everyone can hear uh, the tongues, and that needs to be interpreted. All right. Um, the next point is that prophecy can bring salvation. Verse 24, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare, so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, wouldn't that be great? Unbeliever comes in, prophetic words are given, speak right to his heart, 
bringing conviction of sin, revealing his secrets, causing him to fall in worship of God, saying, God is here, and I want to commit my life to him. And so spiritual gifts that are done in biblical order will not drive away unbelievers, as some are afraid of, but they will draw them to Christ. And so as Jesus said, the power of the Spirit was given so that we can be effective witnesses, both outside the church and within the church as well. And finally, everything must be done in order. This chapter concludes in verse 39, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And so Paul did a lot of correction on the gift of tongues in these chapters, 12 through 14. And lest he be misunderstood, he ends it in by, by saying, do not forbid speaking in tongues. I mean, Paul was not against it. He said I, he speaks in tongues more than everybody else. He said it's a gift. It, it edifies people. It strengthens people. It has a purpose. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. There are many churches and organizations today that do forbid speaking in tongues in direct contradiction to the Bible's commands. And so we should, we should not do that. We should really not participate with those type of organizations. All spiritual gifts need to be done, though, in a fitting and orderly way. And so our vision here at Life Church is to continue to grow in our understanding of and our participation in spiritual gifts. We want to do it in an orderly way. We want to follow the guidelines in God's Word and keep the proper balance between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And so we eagerly desire spiritual gifts that the church might be strengthened and that the lost might be saved. Now, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the most important thing, that's how you become a believer. That's how the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. You need to admit that you've sinned. Slide, please. Believe that Jesus died to forgive your sin, rose from the dead, and commit your life to him. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray this morning. Let's bow our heads. If you're not a believer or you'd like to rededicate your life to the Lord. I'd like to encourage you to pray with me. Say something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. And I believe that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins. He paid the price. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I believe you're alive today. You rose from the dead, and I commit myself to following you all the days of my life. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the spiritual gifts that he brings. We thank you for your spirit who gave gifts of prophetic words to people this morning. We thank you for the people that had the faith to step out in that gift and speak them forth. We pray in the future we would see more of that. Forgive those of us who have not been earnestly desiring and seeking after your gifts. Forgive those who are fearful, those who aren't interested, those 
who don't believe your word. Help our church to grow in the power of your spirit. May we be strengthened by your spirit. May your light shine through us ever brighter so that many more will come to Jesus through Life Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.